Here is a box, a musical box, wound up and ready to play. Can you guess what is in it today? It's box 39. On this week's show, Bryn's Football Special. With Bill Lawrence, Adrian Cohen and Ian Tallentire. With special guests, Bryn Griffiths, Mike Harwood... Welcome to everyone listening to Box Tonight. The honest 30 tonight. 39 even tonight. Whether you're in the bath, maybe you'll be in someone else's bath, who knows? Or you're just slowly and steadily ironing those pants ready for work in the morning. So, I am Bill Lawrence. I really am, and I'm with Eaton tonight, and Adrian, and our 16-piece house band, House Gang Exit, of course. And we are live here in Studio One at Colm Radio Towers for the next 60 minutes. Hello, Ian. What a wonderful show this is going to be. Oh, we do hope so, Bill. Yeah, because our theme this week is Britain's Football Special, where we welcome back to Box 39 the voice of Cone Radio Football and his guests. Evening, Bryn. Hello, we've got some great guests tonight. We've got the long-suffering Ipswich Town fan, Mike Harwood, who's going to read us some poetry. And even better, if such a thing could be imaginable, we've got Carla Dickinson, who straddles Colchester United and Ipswich Town by day. She, she's a key player in the Colchester in the football community. And by... At the weekend, she turns her hand to management as the manager of Ipswich Town Women. Welcome, Carla. Thank you for having me. So, come on, so, Ian, what are we going to do? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to hand over to our team of technicians who are poised, as always, to press their buttons and slide their faders in perfect harmony. It's time for us to start our wonderful wall of radio sound. has the peculiar novelty of being the only piece of Afro-Cuban music that is said to be specifically and explicitly about Colchester United. Unfortunately, this novelty, as peculiar as it is, is somewhat undermined by the fact that this piece of music is entirely instrumental, and the claim that Colchester's Afro-Cuban music fans make about it being about Colchester has also been made by Grimsby Town and Partick Thistle in Scotland.
don't you? I remember when she played fullback actually for Crystal Palace. But anyway, we, I'd like to think tonight we are channeling the spirit, the great spirit of Lord Sir Bobby Moore back into the studio. Do you remember Bryn? We used to channel his spirit many years ago when we did the uh, Bryn and Mill football show. Yes, his insights were invaluable. Well, the reason we're, we're they were the reason we are channeling the spirit of Sir Bobby, of course, is we're really, really pleased to have on the show the first living West Ham United player that we've ever interviewed. I'm afraid, I'm afraid Sir Bobby wasn't living at the time, but we spoke to him. Now, I'd like to welcome Carl. We've already said hello, so hello, Carl, because you're an ex West Ham United player, aren't you? Amongst many other teams, and uh, of course, now you manage Ipswich Town FC women, um, fourth tier National League Division One team. Who, of course, you're going to take into the women's super. In just a, a matter of a few years. Now, welcome, Carla. Of course, being the West Ham player that you are, we will be getting your your seat blessed properly after the show and uh, encased in cling film, and it'll never be used again. I can promise. Um, now, we wanted you to talk first, of course, about your career as a footballer. Later on in the show, we'll talk about your roles in football management. Bryn, can you start with the first question to Carla, please? Bill, I, I think you might have overdone the West Ham bit. I don't know what everybody else thinks, but, but anyway, let, let's let's get on with the interview. Carla, welcome. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you. It's great to have um, a, a, the fo- real footballer and a manager. I understand that your love of the beautiful game goes back a long way. Tell us how you, you fell in love with football. How did it all start? Um, I think it's kind of in the DNA of the family, to be honest. We're all Colchester United fans, all West Ham fans, so I don't think I really had a choice. I think most footballers will say the same thing. So it uh, started for me. Uh, my dad was a coach, football coach, and I used to oh, help out. Where was out. he a coach? Uh, just at local teams, used to coach, so local boys' teams, and I wasn't allowed to play, so I'd have to sit and watch, yeah. and when the boys couldn't get it right, I'd have to stand up and show them how it's done, and <laughs> that's kind of that's how I started, really. Great. So I, I realise I, I, from our conversation before, I understand you went to Layer Road quite a few times in the old days. Yeah, back in back in the day, kind of shows how old I am. I think if I if I let you know how young I was when I started mm. going to Layer Road, but um, I can remember going there quite a lot and the, watching the games there and standing it was wonderful with the place, family. Wasn't it? Fortress Layer Road. I, I loved it. I, I remember. Um, Going as a, a very young girl, and there being these two uh, biker guys used to stand at the front right next to us, and I'd always used to think, you know, it was it was a really exciting place for me to. You were be. in the family stand, then. I don't think I, I don't think I was from from some of the language I was hearing. I definitely don't think I was in the family stand, but but no, I loved it, and it was you know a shame to move on, but I think it kind of run its course a little bit as a stadium yeah i remember taking my daughter when she must have been about as young as you were when you first started and she took her friend from primary school and chris Oalumo in the warm-up managed to belt the ball missed the goal hit the stanchion the ball sprung off in the in a direction where i wasn't expecting hit her in the face her nose was bust there was blood everywhere Oalumo jumped over the uh, into the stand and wow. was saying sorry and stewards were surrounding her i said do you want to go home she said no i want to watch the football <laughs> 
So she, she, you, you would have gone well with her. No, I love that. Um, I understand that you, you you had a chat as an 11-year-old with a careers advisor about how you saw your football career panning out. Yeah, right. I kind of decided that I was either going to be a manager in the, the Women's Premier League or, at the time, a, a gladiator on ITV. So those were my two choices <laughs> that I gave to the to careers um, advisor. Um, she didn't take either one very serious, but... At the time, you know, there were no female role models for me in football and I knew I couldn't play with the boys, but no one said I couldn't manage them. So that's kind of the, the option that I went for. Excellent. And so you've played women's football at a high level, I understand. Um, tell us about that. Um, it's a high level, yes, but in comparison to the men's game, probably not, because when I played, you know, it still wasn't professional at the time. So even though we were playing at the, the top level of women's football, we all had careers outside of football as well. So the leagues have kind of changed now. So there are professional footballers out there. But for me, it was you know straight from work, straight to training to, to play for West Ham United. And back in those days as well, we had hand-me-down kits as well from the players. So I think I played in, I think it was Don Hutchinson's kit I played in. I think it was a number four and he's not small by any you know uh, stretch of the imagination so yeah it was rolling up the the jerseys and the shorts and, did, and did, going out to play did you have much of an audience for those games um you know in the fa cup and, and in county cups yes yeah. we get quite a lot for the leagues yeah. um we played at thorick fc and right. Averley fc so you know we'd, we'd have quite a good yeah. you know fan base and stuff but obviously not anywhere near in comparison to what women get in the games now. And what about the New Jersey Wildcats? You went over to the States. I played um, just not very much in America, really. I went out there to, to coach because the opportunities are a lot greater out there in America. It's kind of, you know, it's an opportunity to coach full-time, which wasn't really presenting itself to me at the time in the UK. So I went out there to, to kind of forward my career and I did a little bit of football on the sideline as well. I understand your your footballing career on the pitch was cut short by injury. <laughs> um, the, the players will laugh who's listening to this because I like to tell them every single training session if I ever do anything wrong in a demo. I like to tell them how many operations I've had on my knee. Um, I'm up to eight now. Oh, so, uh, yeah, kind of I did the, the ACL, the famous, you know, female yeah. football injury at 17, playing against Colchester United at the time as well. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. Um, and after that, you know, it was, I always had it in the back of my mind that maybe it wasn't going to be my mm. my professional career playing, but um, I knew there'd be opportunities for me to coach. So I kind of got pushed more into that that sideline just through injury. So take us back to the states. You 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 took up coaching there. It's, a, it's the strongest football and women's nation in the world, isn't it? It was a, it was a great opportunity for me to go out there and and, and coach full time and, and play on the side as well. And I think it was a real eye opener to see how many female players play in comparison to the UK. It's quite still a minority sport comparison to how many men play over there I reckon it's 50-50 the amount of men and women that play so the opportunities to play out there and coach is just incredible especially for female footballers and you know, it's it's almost a middle-class sport out there as well. You know, the parents are willing to, to pay a lot of money to have their children to play because there's the scholarship opportunities for them and it's an investment in, in their child's career and their education. So, can the Lionesses <laughs> beat them this summer in the, the, the World Cup? Yeah. And we're playing we're playing catch-up still a little yeah. bit with, with the Americans because I think we've got about 2 million women that play football here in the UK and that's compared to about 20 million over in the States so we're always going to be playing catch up on that side however since we've gone professional since I think it was 2011 
Um, you know, women's football's just gone a bit crazy in England and we're just every year getting better as a team. We're sitting third in the world now and it's only America and Germany who are ranked higher than us. And we had a very good Euros as well, getting through to the uh, semi-finals. So this year, you know, it's an opportunity again for us to, to be one of the top favourites, which is, you know, until recently, quite a unique thing to say in, well, in it's great to England be talking football. about an England team being top favourites in football, that's oh, for sure. You know, the, the men are also doing really well at the moment. Yeah. I think that's that investment in grassroots football and, and the England DNA and how we want to play. And I think it's, it's the same across the women's and the men's game. Did you catch the Lionesses when they came to the community stadium? I, I did, yes. I went and watched that and also travelled across to Holland and watched them in the, in the European finals and stuff so uh, yeah it was really good yeah it was great a great night at the community mm-hmm. stadium I think, I think most of us went and we, we all thoroughly enjoyed it's that nice to see the stadium full as well yeah. so, so, <laughs> so, so what do you make of Neville then because when we had Carrie Dunn on she yeah. she, she, she she sort of said we've, we've got to support him, which of we obviously course, have, yeah. obviously have, but she did comment that he didn't actually know much about women's football when he got the job. Um, I, I won't lie to you, when it was announced I was a bit surprised because it come across as the FA mentioned his name in a in a soiree fancy dinner and someone joked about him taking the job and, and they went, oh yeah, that's a really good idea. He didn't apply for the job. I'd never watched a women's game before and he'd never actually managed a football team so it's quite an impressive CV to, to mm. turn around and be the, the England manager. Well, you should be shaming <laughs> in a few years' time. Mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what what he does bring to the women's game is, you know, a lot of men are actually talking about it because he's mm. a big figure and he's, he's got such a reputation and there's, you know, we're getting fans of the women's game just through who he is as a character and the media attention that we get. So... You know he's he's lucky that he's come into you know we've done all the hard work with with coaches like Hope Powell who who's managed for so long when you know no one was interested in women's football and she did such a good job for us that he's kind of took it on when it's in a really good state where he's got professional players that he can he can pick from and stuff and you know hopefully going forward he's he's the right man for the job. Yeah, just during this session, I'm I'm really looking forward to the summer. I think the Lionesses we've got a lot of optimism about mm-hmm. how they might do and. Look forward to maybe having you on after the uh, the World Cup to chew the could and how it went. Brilliant, Carla. Thanks. We'll talk to you more uh, later in the show. Thank you. It's on the radio. It's about football. And it's real. It's real football radio. was asked about the future for women's football and she said it really depends on the funding and we've heard so many positive things at the moment it really does need proper funding and um, meanwhile 4.5 billion has been committed to the Premier League clubs uh, for live TV matches between 2019 and 2022 not much sharing with the lower three divisions uh, we'd like to see a bit more of that, but uh, my poem called Early Kickoff is going to take us back to when Murdoch was spreading his empire through sport and football and uh, moving um, uh, matches away from traditional times like three o'clock on Sunday. And this one was the first game on a Sunday that was going to kick off at 12 o'clock uh, for the convenience of uh, Murdoch's, uh, Murdoch's uh, organisation. 
And as a um, quiet uh, but visual uh, rebellion, some of the Sheffield Wednesday fa- uh, fans turned up in pyjamas. Early kickoff. To feed the sky blue of Murdoch's heaven, the match starts at quarter past 11. Not since Adam delved and Eve span was there such a crisis for the football fan. No time to stuff the all-day breakfast or clink through turnstiles with pints inside us. A dash to the food bar to get a quick pie. Puck-a-pie, puck-a-pie, puck-puck-a-puck-a-puck-puck-a-pie. Puck 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 they crush them up gangways or gristle and meat to merge with hangovers crammed into seats. Players start weaving, powering the cross, but both sides defend well from the kick-off. The visitors in all beige are having their say by closing down flair and imaginative play. The ball's in the midfield, a jumble bum rush, with no chances taken, the crowd's all a hush. But wait, Jackson's away down the wing spaces with his tricky little, tricky little dribble and his nutmeg aces. He's inside the area, he must score a goal. Then he's taken from behind by Roger Kinsall. 20,000 sharp penalty, clear as day. The ref reaches his pocket to have his card say. He raises his arm. Then something alarms us. The referee is wearing pyjamas. Well, we do care deeply about words. What words say and what words don't say. One of the great botched moments in the history of words was when Neil Armstrong stepped out of the lunar lander and onto the moon, the first man ever to do so. And, well and truly dropping a clanger, he famously said, That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Of course, man and mankind are synonyms, so it's nonsense. He meant to say a man, as in one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. But alas, he didn't. Number two on the all-time list of botched words was when Colchester United fan Paddy McLoon and one of Bryn Griffith's favourite 80s bands, Prefab Sprout, failed to sing the words. Some things hurt more, much more than cars and girls and football. Duh. Hurt more, much more than cars and girls. Just look at us now. Well, 
we welcome Mouse Gang Exit, of course, back into the studio. All 16 of them in here tonight. And this is uh, their latest single, Jumble Sale Revival. talking to Carl again. We actually just have received a text from a listener, and this is from Donna in Norwich, and she says, I am actually ironing my pants whilst I'm listening to you. That's fantastic, Donna. Very pleased. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, So, (laughs) Carla... It's uh, delightful to have you here on a football special. Now, you're retired from football, you say. You're living in the, the world of football management. Uh, it's notoriously difficult, isn't it? Unstable, uh, precarious, unpredictable, unforgiving place, isn't it, the world of management? Because everyone, of course, has an opinion on uh, how your team's doing. So, um, Carla, Bryn's going to talk to you about management. Yeah, just, just to sort of dwell on what our space-travelling musings from Adrian. Not only was there sort of grammatical problems with mankind, but maybe they, they did it for the whole of the human race, and not just the men, but just the four. Anyway, back to Carla. Um, so, Carla, you, you've got a master's degree in coaching. That, this, that sounds interesting. What's all that about? Uh, yeah, I kind of went down a different route. I kind of went for the academic side of football, so rather than just, you know, being an expert on the X's and O's, kind of wanted to to have a a better basis in the background of of coaching and in management. So I was lucky enough to to go over and do that in the USA. How do you get Um, selected for that? um, They only take 14 people a year, so you have to apply, and it's the only master's degree in the world that's specific just to football. So you can do a master's in coaching, but this one is purely on, on football. And it's run by the United Soccer Coaches Association. So it's kind of like our RFA, like a governing body out there of, of coaches. And they run it alongside um, all of the other coaching courses that they do. And it's kind of the, the top of their tree. So it's a two-year course. And, you know, then you are a, a master of soccer, should I say. <laughs> so was this, was this the, uh, the bend it like Beckham moment, but for coaching? Um, somebody spotted you or um, was it application I think on it was, pen and paper? I think it was a great application. I wrote a, a, a really lovely application and just before I sent it up, uh, sent it away to them, I woke up in the middle of the night about three o'clock, grabbed a piece of paper and actually start writing and, and come up with a lot more of a, a passionate, honest you know, reason why kind of, you know, football and coaching kind of saved me when I couldn't play the game that I loved and that obviously you know, was very American, so it did really mm-hmm. well. And I, you know, I managed to be the only English person on the course that year, so that was really so, good. So talk us through that. Uh, young woman in Colchester, mm-hmm. how do you... Uh, where football for women is, is, is not at that time, even as usual as it is now, yep. decides she wants to do a Masters in soccer in America. How did that, how did that happen? Well, I, I kind of made a promise to myself that if I got a first-class degree... I would then go on to do a master's and I kind of decided if it was going to be coaching or if it was going to be psychology because I really like that side of, of sport and I think it's really important and I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll apply for the American one. That's the the end goal and if I don't get that, then there's lots of other masters I could do in this country so luckily I was selected. So how does a master's... We, we, I'm used to hearing about all the FA and mm-hmm. UA for badges. How yep. does the master's compare with that? So I think with our with our badges, and although they're changing right now, I obviously still do my badges because they're still important and they're still recognised. I think it goes a lot more 
the masses concentrates a lot of the off the field stuff so there'll be you know nutrition and psychology and recovery and all those kind of other aspects of, of football which kind of gives you a, a master of all if that if that makes sense rather than just being able to coach the players you know for those two hours a day on the field you want to be able to to have an idea or have a control over everything that that goes into being a, a professional footballer yeah, I'm getting a distinct impression here that you you, you know what you're talking about. Well, <laughs> unusual so. for this studio. We talk about football at great length, so it's good, well, good to have an expert. I've have, have spent a lot of money educating myself, so hopefully I do sound like I know what I'm talking about a little bit. So, so taking your career journey back to Colchester... Mm-hmm. Um, you work for Colchester United Football in the community. Mm-hmm. What's that? What's that role about? What do you do there? Well, I started there in January, so I'm, I'm quite a, a new member of staff, and I was lucky enough to be employed on the boys' side, so our foundation phase. So that's kind of under 11s all the way down to under sixes, and we have what we call a development centre, which is kind of like Colchester United's first tier of their talent ID. So we look for those children or those grassroots players who show a lot of potential, and we try and get them into the system as quickly as possible. And, and then from there we coach them every week and then they, you know, those players who are excelling and showing promise get moved up into our elite in our academy system so we've got a very good track record I think there's about 32% of the academy players at the moment have come through that system so and we only have to look at you know Ollie Kensdale making his debut and it was a good Sammy, one wasn't it I was very really good. impressed and obviously Sammy's on form at the moment as well and yeah. he's another one of our development centre players so the pathway definitely does work at Colchester United yeah explain what this this journey this pathway is how does it work we, we're great fans of the academy on mm-hmm. Colne Radio and it'd be really interesting to get a bit of an insight about how that works so basically um, we, we have a really good relationship with the academy and we, we speak about players every month and we look for those players who are excelling or maybe aren't excelling in the academy that might want to drop down into the development centre so it's an ongoing you know conversation that we have with the coaches we recommend players who we think are performing really well and they'll go up for a trial with the academy and hopefully you know we're pretty good at picking the, the players at the right time in their development to go and move that step up and then obviously from there hopefully they can be retained in the pathway at Colchester United and, and then go on to represent the, the first team that's the, the end goal for those players and it seems to be we, we, we've, we've joked about it being called the talent factory but the factory mm-hmm. certainly turned them out at the moment doesn't it? We've got some, some really talented coaches at Colchester United and I think we, we're willing to to invest time and, and you know give opportunity to, to those young players and I think it really shows at a club like Colchester United One of the gaping holes in Colchester United's really impressive setup is is that you, you, you take on young girls they, they go mm-hmm. into that system yep um, Where's the where's the women's team? Um, you know, you'd be probably surprised to know that Coach United used to have one of the best women's team in the country. I remember them doing a lap of honour yeah. at the community stadium in the very early years, and they virtually had a wheelbarrow full of trophies. I seem to remember yeah, well, they were a cracking you know, team. They were playing at a very high level. I think it would have been the equivalent to probably the championship at the moment. So those those players at the time would have been professional players. So. Um, you know, it's it's a shame that obviously when we had some issues with funding, the community one of the first things that went was the the women's team, which is which is a shame. However, you know, that's something that we're looking to to set up again in the future. But we have to kind of start at the bottom up. So we're we're kind of looking for those young, you know, good, skillful players. We've got a girls' development centre now, so we've started the pathway up, and hopefully, you know, the long run is to to have a women's team at at the end of it. 
And then, if you hadn't had, as if you hadn't had enough of football doing that all day, you, you, you find time to manage Ipswich Town women's team. Tell us about that. Six, six matches without defeat, oh, I understand? Yeah, six matches. Uh, yeah, we're having a good run at the moment. Um, I'm lucky enough to be able to work in both camps at Ipswich and at Colts United. So uh, it's something I really enjoy and we're having a very successful season so far. Painful as it has, is for me to utter <laughs> these words. I, I wish you every success with it. Switch town the Thank rest of so the much. season, as long as you don't move over to the men's team. <laughs> I think they need it. <laughs> I, I heard that, Bryn. <laughs> Thank you, Carla. We're, we're, you're going to stay with us for the rest of the yeah, show. Of but it's been brilliant to talk to you, and I'm looking forward to you. Then you're going to lead out West Ham United, either women's <laughs> or men's team, one day into that uh, top division, and obviously win the, the league for them. That'd be Is absolutely that into brilliant. the theatre of popcorn, though. <laughs> Thanks, Carla. <laughs> is the mission statement song of the Association of Gloomy Colchester United Away Fans. The little-known mutual support group for travelling fans who get depressed, not by the user away record, but instead by the depressingly fleeting and superficial exposure they get to people living in the towns and cities in which Colchester play their away games, and the kind of detached and alienated malaise that gradually builds up. feel that too many times we've watched England men play Germany at football and haven't we suffered and it, it became inevitable didn't it that our footballing nemesis would ring run rings around us on the pitch yeah and over recent decades it seems that Germany men have been a dominant and world beating football team that defeat of England by West Germany in the semi-final of Italia 90 still reduces me to floods of Gaza style tears it does yeah, yeah, and no, I have I have flashbacks, awful flashbacks, remembering that afternoon in the pub. The pub wasn't so bad, but the football when we watched England discarded from South Africa 2010, like a soft toy chewed by a vicious rock violin, is painful to recall. But it's changing. 
there's a slight feeling that the position between these two old rivals in football, England and Germany, may be changing at last. At least there seems to be a glimmer of hope that England's strength in football is very real and building nicely, not just for the full England team, but for the younger sides that play for their country. In 2017, England men won the Under-17s World Cup, the Under-19 European Championships, and at Under-21 level, considered to be the feeder team for the full England team, England men reached the semi-finals of the European Championships. Last week, many of us sat in the Arctic winds of unrelenting rain. Some idiot had booked us um, seats in row C at this Colu Stadium to watch England under 20s turn over a strong, not a strong Germany side 2 0. It was a joy to watch. And I had the honour of sitting alongside Ailey Lee, Ailey Ball, a nine year old England fan embarking on her football journey who's now going to make her debut as a Colm Radio correspondent. Hi, my name is Ailey and I'm nearly 10. I went to see the under-20s England v Germany on Monday night and, and it was really fun. I saw it at the at Colchester Stadium, and we sat behind the goal. So on the on the second half, I could see both goals up close, and it was really cool. I think the reason why the other team didn't get any goals is because our goalie was just impeccable and didn't let any of the goals and just carried on just going for it. We got to start the Mexican wave, which was really fun, and I was just like, and I was just like, wee! We were also really quite close to the brass band, and that was quite loud, but not too loud. At one point, they did Baby Shark, the tune, but like they, they only did it for hardly any time because it's not really to do with football. It's just because people like the song. Half time, me and my mum got Bovril, which is tasty. It Bovril is just like a beefy drink, so I was really happy. It was quite loud, but luckily no one swore, so in front of me or anything. So I was just like, okay, <laughs> that's good. There weren't many children around me, but we got a little flag and. It wasn't too big, so people couldn't see through it. I was just like waving it around, so I really cheered a lot. England! That's what I shouted. <laughs> well, on the way there, it was really, really crowded, like with all the cars. And we were like, will we make that in time? We missed about 10 minutes or something. Um, they hadn't scored any goals, so we still got to, we still got to see them. Um, when we were at the car park, we got out and it wasn't too far. It was like five minutes or so. That night, there was a lot of people. <laughs> there was like 7,000, which is quite a lot. It was quite crowded, but not too crowded and I would definitely recommend it um yes it might be a bit crowded and loud but you don't you get used to that after a while 
just really good. They were just passing to each other just really, really well and just going for it. I think the best player was definitely the goalie because, as I said, he was impeccable. Didn't let any of them in. I'd been to the stadium before. That was my third match um, that I've seen. In all those three matches, uh, uh, the team that I was supporting didn't lose in any of them. It's quite lucky. <laughs> the other games I've seen are England Lionesses against um, Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan, and the other game I saw was Colchester United against. Well, it was a home game. And that's everything. It was just really cool night, and I'm very happy. Listening to Box 39, the wall of radio sound, with Bill Lawrence, Adrian Cohen, and Ian Tallentire. That was absolutely terrific, and we look forward to you, uh, your next report, of course. Now, everyone, we are, we're going to talk about Colchester United and the season so far. And, and uh, we've been playing Linton Quasi Johnson's Forces of Victory because, well, some of us think that there might well be a promotion season coming up from Colchester. So, what are the omens? What do the runes say? What do the bones say? What do the signs suggest? Will we be there, up at Lincoln on that last day in May, cheering away or once more tasting that bitter, bitter pint of failure afterwards at the Oddy? Well, I think, personally, we've got a great chance, should we not fall down literally with yet another Smodix injury crisis. But Bryn, is your glass half also half full? Well, Bill, as the great Lenton Quasi Johnson put it, the forces of victory are on the march. My glass isn't full, it's spilling over the side, it's in danger of wrecking the mixing desk, it's flowing all over the place. I've never had such a full pint and cultist united all the time, well, since we went up to the championship. and they're playing up the U's and that's absolutely brilliant we'll just have another listen to them So there we are. That's fantastic. There's Big Sue there and, uh, and uh, Smelly Pete there. Fantastic. Well done. Thank you ever so much. Now, uh, Bryn, remind me, what were we talking about? 
Well, we were going to talk about what's made the difference. Why are Colchester well, United doing so so much better? This well, I'll, I'll throw in my tuppence worth and then uh, I see what everyone thinks. You see, I think the difference is really... Um, we've got these new players and I think they're just you know bigger players I think that's really it we've got a bit of bulk there now uh, you know look at look who's, look who's arrived absolutely fantastic aren't they those the, the new Frank Newblay who did he used to play for just remind me of that team in East London West something West, West somewhere West, Westfield <laughs> I don't know anyway uh, yeah and I'd say Frank Newblay's made a difference and uh, Harry Pell but of course the talisman Mr Norris well I think that we said last season when we did the summary with Jim French from the Gazette, we talked about we've got a solid defence and we've got solid foundations. And I think what's what's really made the difference is that we've built on those solid foundations this year. We've got Norris. What a signing. An absolute sensation. What I really... I don't know if people saw the tweets from the Swindon Town fans when he joined us, sort of saying what a joke he was and how we'd been done and, and that they wished us luck in a very sarcastic manner. Well, they're not laughing now, are they? And Newblade, yeah, absolutely spot on, Bill. He's really strong. I'm not sure he's the goal scorer that Norris is, but he's strength as he runs into the uh, the attacking uh, and attacks their goal is, is really unsettles them. Well, I think he unnerves them on that left wing a bit, doesn't he? Yeah. And it's great to see another Academy boy, Smoddox, hitting form. Yeah. He hit form about this time last year. And if you remember, after Christmas, he dipped. Now, I don't know what happened, but let's hope he that took this took a crack year... in the ankle, as I seem to recall. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... I yeah, yeah, but he... When he came back after Christmas, he w- he wasn't as good. I wondered whether he'd hoped to go in the transfer window and he was feeling a bit hacked off when he didn't. Anyway, he's hitting form now, doing absolutely extreme well, but really well. And Mandron, I I thought Mandron was all right last season. He's certainly a squad player. Um, he's, he's not in the class of Norris, but to have somebody of the quality of Mandron on the bench that can come on and. Um, play in the latter part of the match. I think that's a strong bench. In past years, we've, we've really felt, well, who is who, who is going to come on if um, come on, he ben. wants to move it to back? Come on, Ben, you talk about getting bulk in the team and the fact that they're more, they've got more presence on the ball, they're less likely to be knocked off. Mandron was last season's purchase, and that's what we expected of him. To be quite honest, we win when he's on the bench. That's not good in a player, is it? No, but the point I'm making is not that he should be in the first team, but I'm saying as a player on the bench, as a squad player, as somebody you could, for a team at our level, who you can bring in, that, that, that's that's quality on the bench. But then you need him to be running on that ball, running onto that ball when he's actually brought on. And uh, what, he jogs up and down the pitch a bit, but he's not exactly getting involved. Well, he was he was leading the forward line yesterday, and I think that when you've got Nublay playing, um, it creates a lot of space for Smoddox. You've got to look at the whole the whole system. Sometimes you don't just look at the player that puts it in the net. You you look at what's happening across the whole of the forward line. Now we could talk about this all evening, but to your left, we've got a professional. So could we have the professional's <laughs> opinion, please? <clears throat> to be honest, I just think the. The players we've added into the squad has given us a bit more depth. So I'd actually agree with Bryn, the players that we were managing to bring Ooh. on. Oh, no, I, know that, I know it doesn't happen very often. I told you she knew what she was talking about. But, you know, we'll all agree it's a, a better, stronger squad definitely than last year. And those players we've brought in have had a massive impact. And I think also players like Harry Pell yeah. has, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's amazing great, character and the way he's around the dressing room 
time and, and his interaction with the fans and even the young fans and stuff. Yeah. He's, been, he's been brilliant. I don't think you can underestimate that. And the, uh, the confidence that they're grinding away some of these results. I mean, Exeter on Saturday, mm-hmm. their defence was fantastic. And we just kept going and kept going and kept going. And we've watched many games where heads have just gone down playing against a defence like that. But we just... We, and a great goal from Sammy. Belter from outside. You could see the spirits raised again there. I know they did let in a goal about 30 seconds later. But, uh, you know, the, the spirit's so high now, isn't it? I mean, you must know that. I'm working there. Oh, you know, it's a really nice atmosphere at the moment. At the training ground, at Shrub End, at the stadium and stuff. You know, all the, all the staff have a little bit of a, a skip in our step and a little bit of a bounce at the moment. And hopefully that confidence if we keep, you know, like we said, grinding out those tough games, those tough away games, those results and stuff. Hopefully that will just keep growing and growing. All right. Well, Mike, you're a you're a, a fan. You come a bit of a new boy in our team of, uh, down at the South End. Um, what do you reckon? Is East Anglian derby next year? Well, uh, after last night's uh, three-through defeat to Bristol City, it's a distinct possibility. We were ahead twice thanks to one of your uh, brilliant ex-players, Freddie Sears, and went down... 3-1, three, three goals by Bristol City in about 10 minutes. I uh, have uh, I've had three games at Ipswich this season and two and three at Colchester. At the moment, it's Ipswich, two draws, one win. And Colchester, it's two wins and a draw. The football at the community stadium has been more flowing and at times more exciting. But it may be because of the lower division opposition, and I sense somebody might have to want to say something about it. It could be because you're viewing the games with us, Mike. <laughs> the company's good, I'll give you that. <laughs> right, let's, uh, let's listen to some music. Darkly ironic song, Imperfect Animals, was written and sung by Colchester United fan Alice Fist, sister of Debbie. It has been banned from the playlist at Colchester's ground because it is thought to be a satirical attack and an unpopular perspective on the Colchester United Football Club Academy.
it's lovely to hear once more from Ausgang Exit with Professor Henry and this is called Britain is seen only from its motorways So it doesn't seem long ago, does it, that Ipswich Town, one of the strongest teams in English football, led by the legendary Bobby Robson, winning everything, the FA Cup, playing in Europe, um, about 16 years, I'm afraid, since they're in the Premier League. And this season, well, they're getting through the managers, aren't they? Like, uh, there's no tomorrow with them. Six pints adrift after last night's disaster. Relegation to the <laughs> third tier seems already li- likely. Do you need a drink, Mr Lawrence? <laughs> I certainly do, as an Ipswich supporter. <laughs> Come on then, Mike. We're in big trouble. You're, you, you need a journey to recovery. Come on, it's a transition. You, what are you going to do, Mike? Well, I think the... Uh, hey, how's it going? The measure is it's so bad that... Um, I remember a Newcastle supporter on Friday night, his uh, team lost, and they said, there's my weekend gone. Uh, so to make sure my weekend's gone, just by supporting and being uh, disappointed by Ipswich, I have four other teams, five in total, and my following poem sums up my attitude to why I'm supporting more than Ipswich Town. Ipswich and my four other teams. I believe as an Ipswich Town season ticket holder, I'd enjoy good football. Job done. After all, Ipswich won the FA Cup in 1978, UEFA Cup in 81. We are now bottom of the championship. End of. Sacked manager Paul Hurst plays with Freddie, only Freddie Sears up front against three midfield skyscraper defenders. Job not done. Freddie Sears is five foot five inches short. Standard. When my passion has plummeted with the Ipswich long ball, only two home wins in 2018, my tractor boy tractor in a ditch, job not done, I turned to the Greek philosopher Diogenes, who asked for money from statues to practice disappointment. How to cope, job done. But such is match emotion of the football supporter, such devotion with no promotion, psycho bruises, weekends can be all over for some when their team loses. So what's to be done? Become a five-team supporter, like me, job done. When I pour my Saturday tea time lager, I've got Portsmouth, Gillingham, Ipswich, Norwich, only joking, Colchester, Braintree, <laughs> not really, Accrington, Stanley, end off. When the results shoot in, one's bound to be a winner, job done. Portsmouth, me, age 10, Division 1 titles in 1949 and 50, job done. Even sooner, on father's shoulders, Derby's Nat Lofthouse rises, surprises, rises like a phoenix above defender, schooner nods a goal. Then Portsmouth's Dougie Reed breaks the net with a blinder. 40,000 flat caps applaud the winner, job done, job done. Gillingham, always in the lower divisions, but town of two grandmothers. I remember they never claimed football silver, job not done. But with Kent in my bones, that didn't matter. Job done. Priestfield Stadium was my boyhood. Gillingham, Nirvana. Pre-match excitement. Small boy train spotting at rail crossing. Winning glory and who's got the most bent penny laid on the track. Run over by passing steam train drama. Post-match. Let's all go down the Medway Strand. Have a banana. Job done. <laughs> Accrington Stanley. I like the name. And the 1968 Milk Board ad. The small boy is told, if I drink milk, I could play for Accrington Stanley. Who are they? The small boy says. Who are they? Accrington Stanley. That's my best Liverpool accent, by the way. Accrington Stanley. We are the club that never die. In the playoffs, Division One, job done. Who are you? Who are you? When others fail, Cole you is my new win redeemer. Newble, Norris, Eastman, Smoddix, job done, senior. Three visits to the community stadium. Good friends, good crack, one draw, two one. For my supporting sins, I've become a cold you believer. But when I've been called a football's fair weather friend, end of which team? Which one? 
If I had to push a one-team switch, I'd choose just one. Job done. It, it is. It, it definitely is Ipswich. Ooh. Pain to Ooh. suffer. It's re- pain. To, oh, you hear they go around the studio, <laughs> uh, booing on air. Pain to suffer if relegated. But if Colchester got promoted and they played each other in Division One, as long as good football was played, end of. Would I care who one job done? As the man said to me as I went to the pub toilet, job to be done. There's definitely no life after death. End of. Job done. Job done. Brilliant. Marvellous, Mike. Thank you so much for that. Well, Bryn, um, you know, you've got, you, you uh, have got some really good thoughts about this. I know you're feeling a bit tormented. Well, Bill, I'm, I'm, I'm worried. I, I, work, I work next to Ipswich Town. I look out at the ground after the win- out of the window every day and I'm tormented. I'm, I'm seriously hurt for the tractor boys and girls. Bill, pass the hankies round. Pass the hankies round. Well, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm going to do that. And, and I just wanted to say that that was a, a terrific poem, Mike. And I really did enjoy that. Thank you for that. It's it fantastic. And you, you kept to time. And see, even better, I'm, I'm going to go happy. I'm a happy man tonight. I'll be telling my friends and relatives. <laughs> but as a tribute to all the Ipswich Town fans listening, we want to say, don't give up on us, baby. They're still home. Don't give up on us, baby. We're still worth one more try. I know we put a last one by. Just for a rainy evening. When maybe stars are few. Don't give up on us, I know. Can still come through Brin, I, I just couldn't. I just could not. I'm afraid, contend with David Soul. Whatever you think of it, uh, I just can't play that. I'm sorry, but you know what is even worse than David Soul, uh, Paul Lambert. Paul Lambert. Well, if Ipswich were to, I, I, I'm, people probably didn't really believe that I hadn't given up on them, baby. I, I want to gloat. Can you imagine anything, Colchester United fans? Can you imagine anything better than not only could Ipswich Town propping up the whole of the Championship go down this season, but they could go down under the management of the pantomime villain, the man we love to loathe, Mr Lambert. What could be better? It would be a joy to behold. There would be dancing in the streets of Colchester, and then we could welcome him next season, humiliated, broken, defeated, and relegated, as we get promoted to visitors at the community stadium. What do you think of that then, Mike? What I think is that uh, you're ahead of yourself there. <laughs> Paul, uh, as Paul. was the funeral march being played. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Paul Lambert, has, uh, he's made a difference, a big difference. He's uh, the energy, the, uh, the uh, unity, and uh, he's made a big difference because he's blown away apathy with passing style. May not have got results, but it's entertaining. And uh, much better than the sack manager, the previous one, Paul Hurst, who relied on the long ball game and, sell, and sold three of our best players, Wackhorn and Webster. What Lambert does, contrary to your rather critical uh, account, uh, he demands his team play on the front foot and with passing football hopes to entertain our long-suffering fans. And I'm certainly for, one of, for that and one of those. Who says community radio can't be balanced? Can I jump in? It's interesting because obviously I'm down at the, uh, you know, at the training ground a lot of Playford Road, Ipswich Town, and to be honest, you know, 
they're in every single day. They're in on Sundays, the first team. You know, what he has done for Lambert is really giving them a, a kick up the butt, basically. You know, he couldn't be working those players any harder. So hopefully, you know, for for your sake, <laughs> that, uh, you know, hopefully they can turn it around. Well, as a neutral in this debate, I would like to see, I don't like to see teams getting relegated, local teams. I don't think it's good for football in the area. We want to see everyone get promoted. We want to see a championship with, you know, Southend, Colchester United, Ipswich Town, Norwich City. Well, if Norwich keep carrying the way they, they're going, <laughs> they could be a, a Premier League side by I the end of the right. season. you're right. Well, on so. that note, that note of positivism, <laughs> let's, uh, let's have another piece of music. There were several candidates, including Truck Driver Divorce by Frank Zappa, Dark Star by The Grateful Dead, You Enjoy Myself by Fish, Cocaine in My Brain by Dillinger, Bike Ride to the Moon by The Dukes of the Stratosphere, and a medley of Season Cycle, One Thousand Umbrellas, and Dear God by XTC. But in the end, this song, It'll End in Tears by The Lilac Time, has been chosen as Box 39's official song of the 2018-19 season for Colchester United. You make you decide for yourselves whether or not it's going to end in tears. I doubt it. Anyway, that's it. Time for us to go. You've been listening to our football special here on Box 39 with me, Bill Lawrence, Mystery and Talentire, Adrian Cohen, our house band, Ausgang Exit, and guests Mike Harwood and Carla Dickinson. And last but not least, of course, our very special guest, an old friend, Bryn Griffiths, the voice of football here at Com Radio. Good night, listeners. And by the time Bill and Ian invite me back again, I'm hoping the U's really will be marching on to victory and Lambert's Ipswich will be careering relentlessly towards relegation. Anyone for a derby in 1920? Well, yes, please stay tuned, because coming up straight after the break is our new show from Box 39 called Red Button in just a few moments here on Colm Radio, where we extend the chat and the conversation remains live and unleashed, and there's more great music, of course. So, from where we are, high up on the top floor, Studio One, here at Cone Radio Towers, looking down on the full and fertile lands of North East Essex, it's time for us to close Box 39 once more. Be seeing you. Be seeing you. Yes, definitely. Be seeing you. Be seeing you. 
Oh, I'll definitely be seeing you. Box 39 has been a Guppy production for Cone Radio.